Welcome to the Better With Brock podcast. My name is Brock Ashby and this is my podcast. Welcome to episode number 40 where we're going to be breaking down things that just need to go in the fitness industry, things that are overrated, things that plain and simple just suck. We're going to break down why combo exercises such as burpees need to go, why intermittent fasting is overrated, why starving yourself for fat loss is unsustainable, why cheat meals need to go and I seriously just don't know why they stick around, Uh, why protein powders for different sexes just don't make sense, why comparing yourself to others doesn't make sense as well. And lastly, why editing and social media uh, filters uh, just does not help our mental health. Let's get into it. Before I jump into the nitty gritty of the podcast, I just want to announce that the Built by Brock eight week challenge is now taking signups. So you can now sign up for the Built by Brock eight week challenge, which begins on the 7th of August. Right now, we are in the challenge prep program, which is the programs in between challenges where we're focusing on uh, bringing our body back to a place of, let's say, homeostasis of maintenance where we can rejuvenate our metabolism if we've been pursuing fat loss in the previous challenges. And I really encourage you to sign up early if you can before the 7th of August, because then you can dive into the knowledge that I have available for you in the challenge. Uh, You can get used to the way that I program. You can start getting a handle on your nutrition before the challenge officially starts because once it starts, we go really hard. And that's why this challenge prep program exists. It ultimately acts as a little bit of a deload, although it's not an official deload, it kind of, uh, we work on things such as imbalances. So there's a lot of unilateral work. Anyway, the program or the challenge is called eight years in eight weeks, because as of this month, the 15th of July, I have been a personal trainer for over eight years. And in this eight weeks of the challenge, you're going to be getting eight years of what I've learned on the gym floor, what I've learned on all my courses, what I've learned from uh, transforming bodies face-to-face as a personal trainer, but also online. So uh, the link to sign up is on teambrockashby.com, which is my website, or if you're on Instagram, you can hit the link in my bio, or it'll be in the link of the show notes, whatever platform you're listening to this on. Another update that I have is the Team Brock Ashby body quarters that I'm doing this podcast in. This beautiful podcast studio is actually in a gym. So behind the camera is a gym. Last night, I was putting up a, uh, a set of mirrors with Jamal, and they're all up. So... Uh, The next thing to come in is just the logos, which is going to be very simple. And then I just want one or two more machines and then we are done. It is complete and there will be a ton of content coming out of here for my clients that are using my app uh, with all the educational videos and exercise videos that you get with uh, the programs that I I provide for you. Uh, But also, yeah, social content as well. And then there'll be some face-to-face stuff happening for people that are based in Sydney. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. Man, it's really hot. I just got some new lights. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, the lighting looks very nice, uh, but it's very hot here. So I may have to transition to a singlet for the next podcast or even during this one. First of all, okay, why combo exercises suck? Let's determine or define what a combo exercise is first. A combo exercise is not a compound exercise. They're different. So a compound exercise, let's define that first. A compound exercise is an exercise that works more than one muscle group. So it's not an isolation exercise like a bicep curl. 
it's a compound exercise like a bench press, which works your chest, your triceps, and your shoulders. A bicep curl just works your bicep. Isolation, compound. When we're talking about combo exercises, it's not talking about the combo of muscles that you're using. It's talking about literally a combo of exercises that are done in one. The prime example is the burpee. And I've got beef at the burpee. Burpee. I've got beef. Beef. Well, let's try that again. One, two, three. I've got beef with the burpee. For anyone that wants to maximize their results and build muscle, please take burpees out of your program. If you've signed up to a Team Brock Ashby program, you will not see burpees. Look, I did them back in the day when I didn't know as much and I was an early personal trainer. Uh, but I've become much wiser and much more knowledgeable and burpees have to go if you were serious about building muscle and getting strong as well. And the reason for this is because if you are doing a combo exercise, there's always going to be a discrepancy in what weight you can lift for each exercise. Okay, let's look at, let's look at the burpee. You have a push-up and a jump squat, basically. You go down to the floor. Sometimes you don't have to do a push-up, but if you're going to do a real burpee, then you want to do a push-up at the bottom, get some extra gains. And then you're going to stand up and your feet have to leave the ground. So that's technically a jump. How much weight could you do a push-up with? You know, you could probably add 20 kg on your back. If you're relatively strong, you could probably do more if you're even stronger than that. But, you know, you could add, let's say, 10 to 20 kilos on your back when you're doing a push-up. Let's go to a jump squat. How much weight could you jump squat? Okay, you can do a bodyweight jump squat. Easy. Could you hold a 20 kilo dumbbell or weight and jump? Pretty easy. Could you do 40 kilos or 50 kilos? Yeah, I think you could. We can squat way more than we can push up. If we just break it down to the fundamentals of, let's say, bodybuilding exercises in replacement of a push up and a, and a jump squat, let's say just like a normal barbell back squat and a chest press or a bench press, we can squat way more than we can bench press. And that's because our legs are much bigger muscles than our chest, shoulders, and triceps. So let's, let's, you know, I like to speak from personal experience because I don't want to just make up random numbers. My one rep max for for my back squat is not that impressive. It's 170 kg for one. My bench press one rep max is about 150 kilos. So there's a 20 kilo difference there. But even if we're doing reps, I can squat way more than I can bench press. So if I'm going to do them together, there's going to be a muscle group that's going to get uh, left behind. So my legs aren't going to get as much of a workout as my chest is. Okay, and the same goes with a jump squat and a burpee. Sorry, a jump squat and the push-up within the burpee. Your chest is probably your chest, shoulders, and triceps are probably going to get more of a workout than your legs are. Now, the thing with the burpee though is it has the combo exercises, but it also adds in this element of cardiovascular exercise. So your heart is getting a work, you're getting tired. And that's usually okay if you're trying to increase your cardiovascular output. But with the burpee, you're doing a push-up and a jump squat under fatigue. And this is why so many people have come to me injured. They were doing burpees. Or even worse, they were doing a box jump under fatigue. So fatigue is, is good, right? Sometimes we want that, especially when we're trying to do cardio. But this is why burpees do not belong in your cardio program. Burpees. There's two, there's two 
high of a level of skill to a burpee to actually get absolutely flogged doing it because you're probably going to screw up a push-up. You might hurt your shoulder. You're probably going to screw up, screw up the jump squat. You might hurt your ankle. You might hurt your knee. If you're going to do cardio, run, row, swim, cycle, do these things because you can push yourself so hard and there's no risk of injury. You're just going to get tired and then kind of stop. But when you're doing a burpee, you're going to get tired and you're not going to stop naturally. Your body's going to stop because you're going to get injured or you're just going to be like doing sloppy form. We've all seen the CrossFit bloopers of, of burpees just going absolutely wrong. So they're just such an average exercise. Like they're not a good cardio exercise. They're not a good muscle building exercise. I understand if CrossFitters want to do them because they're an exercise specific to the sport. You sometimes have to do them uh, in the workout of the day or the WOD. So I get that. But other than that, if you if you really want to build muscle, get them out. Don't do burpees. Do push-ups separately in a separate set. Do squats in a separate set. Because even if you look at it like doing a squat and a... Um, and a push-up together. If you're doing a squat and then doing a push-up and doing a squat and doing a push-up, when you're doing the push-up, your legs are resting. When you're doing the squat, your chest is resting. So there's no real constant tension of the muscle when you're doing these two alternating exercises rep for rep. I would rather a superset where you do push-ups until failure and then you do squats until failure because then at least you have this constant tension continually working the muscles that you're targeting, right? Another lame combo exercise that I've seen online is things like, you know, you do a split squat and then you might dumbbell curl, split squat, dumbbell curl. And if you don't know what a split squat is, it's like a lunge that's static. So you're not lunging forward and lunging back. You're just going up and down. So your feet stay stationary. That is the difference between a split squat and a lunge. So they'll do like a split squat and then they'll curl or even they'll lunge forward, curl, lunge back. How much can we lunge? Okay. Let's say in my current program, I'm doing 30 kilo dumbbells in my hand and I'm lunging or I'm uh, doing split squats. Around 30 kilos is what I use for somewhere between eight to 10 reps. If I'm going to curl, uh, <laughs> my biceps aren't too strong. I might be doing like 12.5 kilos, 15 kilos for eight to 10 reps for my bicep curls. Can you see the discrepancy there? There's literally 20 kilos in each dumbbell that's on my hand. That's 40 kilos total. If we look at it like holding two dumbbells side by side, that my legs are missing out on just because my biceps can't keep up with my legs. That's why combo exercise are horrific for your gains. They look cool on Instagram and that's why they're so popular. Influencers are lazy. They're like, hmm, what can I do that looks cool? It looks time efficient. Ah, it's going to be perfect for these time short, time short mothers out there that are at home with babies. I know. So I'm going to post a deadlift and a curl or a split squat and a lateral raise. I'm going to put them together. And then it's going to be like, yeah, you only need 10 to 15 minutes to train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that. I'll film that. I'll get in my little, you know, sports bra and little booty, booty shorts, and I'll post it and it'll go viral. And it does. And then people are doing it and they're wondering why they're not getting results. Yes, any movement is better than no movement, but that's super basic. Okay. If if you're in this position of going from no movement to, to some movement, that's cool, right? But this podcast is probably not for you because you're probably already moving and I'm about taking you from where you are, which could be like a basic level of understanding or just getting into training, to taking you to what optimal looks like. 
An optimal doesn't look like doing a deadlift and then doing a curl with the same weight because your deadlift muscles that you're trying to do, which, you know, your hamstring and glutes, they are not going to be getting stimulus from 12.5 kilos in each hand. Your biceps will, but your deadlifts will not be. They will be suffering. So they'll be getting weaker. Your biceps will be increasing, but you're just wasting your time. You may as well do a set of deadlift for eight to 10 with, you know, three times the weight and then getting a different weight and doing the curls after. That's why combo exercises suck. It sounds time efficient, but it's actually not because you're wasting time in the gym. So what's the cost there? What's the cost? It's the time spent in the gym. So combo exercises, if you see them in your program, if you see them on your social media feed, if you see them anywhere, get rid of them. Okay, I hate them. Moving on, why intermittent fasting is overrated for fat loss. This is a hot topic and it's been for years and I don't know why. But intermittent fasting is not superior for fat loss. Intermittent fasting is a tool in the box. It's an option. Okay, a lot of people harp on about the autophagy of a calorie deficit. Sorry, of intermittent fasting. But I jumped ahead there. But the calorie deficit is the thing that creates the autophagy. It, cr- it creates the same autophagy than intermittent fasting. So, you know, where's the real benefit? If you want to intermittent fast... You can do it if it helps with your adherence, if it helps with you sticking to calories, if it helps with you <clears throat> if it helps with you not binging on, you know, on your calories and stuff like that. That's cool. All right? But just understand that that, that there's no magic to it. There's no unicorn. There's no special science to it. All you're literally doing is like prolonging the time that you're eating um, and you're like Sorry, you're condensing the amount of time that you're eating and you're prolonging the time that you're not eating. So your fasting is longer, but your eating is in a more condensed window. And when you look at it like that, if you're eating for less time throughout the day, let's say from midday to 8 p.m., as opposed to eating throughout the entire day, you're probably going to lose some weight if that is your goal, because you're literally eating for less time throughout the day. I'm trying to make it sound really simple because it is when you break it down. But let's say you have a condensed window, but you eat just as many calories. If you eat 3,000 calories between 12 p.m. and 8 p.m., it's the same as having 3,000 calories throughout the day between 6 a.m. and 8 p.m., okay? 3,000 calories is 3,000 calories. It's kind of like if you were to, I don't know, leave a hose on to fill up a swimming pool and you lift it from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m., and then you lift it from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m., but it was on like a faster, like there was more water coming up between 12 to 8 p.m. and it ended up filling the pool at the same level, then you're going to have like the same, like the pool's still the same size. You've filled it up. It's just taking a different amount of time. And that's kind of how you want to look at intermittent fasting. If you wake up and breakfast always screws you up, you just grab a chocolate croissant and you're like, oh, damn it, you put butter on it. Oh, damn it. Oh, I'm going to go to Starbucks and have my, you know, um, frappuccino with uh, caramel sauce, chocolate sprinkles and whipped cream with my chocolate croissant with butter all over it. Um, you know, and that's like five, 600 calories. If you don't do that, if you skipped that meal, if you skipped it, you would save yourself 500 to 600 calories. So then people go, when they do intermittent fasting, they start skipping breakfast and start eating between 12 and 8 p.m., which is the most common protocol that people use, which is what I I knew it as, the lean gains protocol. When people did that, that, 
they started losing weight. So it was like, oh, intermittent fasting is the thing that made me lose fat. Because when I started fasting, I lost weight. But when you really break it down, it wasn't intermittent fasting. It was the fact that you're consuming less calories. Therefore, you created a larger calorie deficit or a calorie deficit in general, and you started losing weight. So I want to highlight this because even with my clients that you know have access to all the education in the world that I know, once again, eight years of personal training, they they they're still like, hey Brock, like um, you know, I'm getting frustrated. I'm not I'm not losing weight and I'm intermittent fasting. And then I'm like, hey, like we've talked about this, <laughs> or like, hey, it's not special. Hey, it's not magical. Um, hey, we just need to create this calorie deficit. So maybe you can bump your steps up, or maybe you can, you know, do some uh, recipe swaps or some food swaps to reduce your calories, or. You could even try try shortening your intermittent fasting window. So you instead of eating from 12 to 8 p.m., maybe you eat from 12 to 6 p.m. That might help as well. Whatever way you create the calorie deficit, that's cool. Just create it. And that can look different for many people. And that's why intermittent fasting can work for some people. For some people, intermittent fasting works for them for fat loss. So they're like, so they do lose body fat because them skipping that breakfast meal really helps them out. For me, it just makes me starving, mate. And then I get to lunchtime and I'm a ravenous horse and I just eat as much as I can. And I probably overeat what I potentially would have eaten if I just had breakfast. I find myself more controlled and more composed when I'm consistently eating. Uh, If I don't, ask my wife, ask my friends and family. If I'm hungry, I'm just not the best person to be around. You know, that could be me being a sook, but I, I literally need a lot of calories. I have a high metabolic rate, high level of physical activity, high level of like brain output in terms of like the amount of work that I do in a day. So I need the calories. And when I don't have them, my energy dips and I'm not the best person to be around. So personally, intermittent fasting uh, doesn't work for me. It makes me more frustrated. Some people claim that they're more clear, um, you know, clear minded. Uh, I find myself to be more frustrated and thinking about food more often. So it's very personable. It's very individual. So just go with what works for you. Intermittent fasting can be great. It can also be a waste of time. And there's no magical theory that blesses you when you're doing intermittent fasting to make you lose fat faster. It's just the fact that it may help you create a calorie deficit, okay? But I like to create it throughout a just constant, you know, regular eating, just creating a calorie deficit through that. And that works fine for me and most of my clients. So there we go. Intermittent fasting is overrated. Another thing that's overrated is is, is completely starving yourself for fat loss. It's very unsustainable. And I want to break down why that happens. So a lot of people say, hey, Brock, you know, they sign up to, to one of my programs. Hey, Brock, I'm trying to lose body fat. Um, you know, I've been on 1500 calories uh, and, you know, I'm losing weight, but I don't know what to do next. Or they'll say, hey, Brock, um, you know, like I need to lose weight. What should my calories be? And then I'll give them, you know, a 20% calorie deficit or a 500 calorie calorie deficit. So they lose around, you know, half a kilo or one pound of body weight per week. But they want to lose, you know, extreme amounts very quickly. Hey, Brock, the calories that you gave me are too high. Because there's that, like they've seen all these body transformations online or they've heard these like crazy stories where uh, someone lost eight kilos in four weeks and I want that type of thing. Brock, why is this so slow? And the reason that I go for the slow and steady approach, which isn't really that slow, to be honest, losing a kilo a week or half a kilo a week. So one pound or two pounds per week, that's that's actually a really decent paced rate of fat loss. 
because when you go too fast, often you can be depriving yourself. And when motivation is high, it's very easy to handle the levels of hunger. So that's why people can stick to these aggressive diets for three days, seven days, up to two weeks. But after that, when motivation starts to dip a little bit, when you get really hungry, because you're on these low calories and your and your training takes a dive because you don't have the energy to perform, that's when you give up and you just end up binging. You end up in a cycle of getting back to where you were and then some. So that's why it's unsustainable because you're literally depriving yourself of too much at a rate and your body, you're fighting the urges of your body. Like if your body was like, stupid it would just let you continue starving yourself and then you would just most probably die back in the day when we didn't have access to food but your body is is taught to try and try and preserve your life so as you go in this extreme calorie deficit your body sends hunger signals because those hunger signals back in the day were sent to drive you to find food but now we don't have to really find food. We can just buy food. For most people in the world, obviously, I don't want to be, to be um, you know, ignorant to people that don't live in such a fortunate world. But now we can just go and buy food. So that's ultimately what we do. Our hunger signals are just through the roof. We're so hungry. We can't handle it. And then we just, you know, go on this rampage where we just eat takeaways. And, you know, I've been there. That's why I'm talking about this from from experience and, you know, in, in so much detail because I've been stuck in this cycle for ages I've done it. I've been there. It sucks. I was there for years, actually. And I was a personal trainer while I was doing this. I was overcoming this while I was trying to coach people to overcome this. It was a very difficult time. And that's why I like to talk about this sort of stuff. And every time I tried to go very aggressive with my diet, I always bounced back. And I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't progress at a slower rate. I'd, I'd actually regress. I'd go backwards. And then when I started to think, okay, I don't need to eliminate the foods that I like. I don't need to go so aggressive and starve myself and dip my energy just because I think that's, that's, I thought that's how I lost fat. I can just be a bit more reserved. And when I did that, sure, the progress was a bit slower than when I starved myself, but at least it worked in the long term. Like I'd look back after a month and be like, oh, wow, I've actually kept this weight off and I've continued to progress. So it's more of like a delayed gratification vibe where you lose body fat just at a slower rate, but you eventually get there. Like what's better getting there in eight weeks or trying to get there in eight days, binging and then being in a worse spot in two weeks and doing that four times. And then you're in like a worse place than you started as opposed to a better place just because you had a little bit more patience. And that's the sort of game that I like to play with myself and I like to play with my clients and that's how we get really good results. And that's why... Um, I'm a bit anti-starving yourself in aggressive calorie deficits. Look, there is a time and a place and a person that can handle aggressive calorie deficits. And that person usually is someone carrying quite a decent amount of body fat. You can go quite aggressive because you have the stored energy, which is your body fat. So if you go a bit more aggressive, you may have slightly lower hunger signals because you have that stored energy in body fat. Um, but if you're really lean let's say you're 15% body fat or less, or even 10% body fat or less, which is pretty lean, 12% or less. If you're around this spot and you go quite aggressive, because you don't have those body fat stores or stored energy, and 
you just really have the diet and your muscles. If you go very aggressive, you can run the risk of potentially losing muscle mass. Uh, and that is no good because that's what we work hard for in the gym. So look, aggressive, it does depend on the person. I'm not writing it off. You can go aggressive for calorie deficit and get good results and then just like go to maintenance after if, if that works for you. But what I like to do is go for around 1% of your body weight per week. So I'm 90 kilos on average. So that would mean I would lose 900 grams per week. That seems to be the sweet spot in terms of not being too fast, that it's unsustainable, that I deprive myself of food and end up in this binge eating cycle. It's also not too slow that I lose motivation. And that's one thing that we have to be aware of when we are pursuing fat loss. Like the slow and steady approach is cool, but if it's too slow, then you can just think, oh, this isn't working and then just give up. Like if you lost 50 grams over the week and you're like, hmm, 50 grams, you know, you can you know, go to the bathroom and lose 50 grams. Like that's nothing. We need to move at a, at, at a steady rate. And that's why that 1% of your body weight per week is a good rule. And, um, yeah, too slow. You'll give up. Like think of if you were do if you were doing it yourself, like imagine trying to save for a house and you're saving a dollar a week. It's too slow. You're going to give up. Like you need to save at least you know, 500 bucks a week or a thousand bucks a week or 200 a week, like something significant that you can actually see the progress. Like if, if you can't physically see the progress and it's like 50 grams a week, what am I doing here? It's too slow. So there's the nuance in terms of starving yourself for fat loss. It's overrated. You don't need to do it. If you are carrying more body fat, you can do it. If you're lean, I wouldn't recommend it. I'd recommend the slow and steady approach. Okay. Why do cheat meals suck? I'll tell you. I'll tell you why cheat meals suck. Cheat meals are just like a, I feel like cheat meals are the fitness excuse for just going off your diet. Like, and you just justify it with, you just stick a big bandaid over it and go, it was a cheat meal, man. It was a cheat meal. It's good for my, you know, psychology. The cheat, <laughs> it's just an excuse for you to like get off your over-restricted diet. Let's admit it. Let's be honest for a second. If you are starving yourself, coming back to the previous point and depriving yourself of the foods that you love because you need to stick to this 1200 calorie diet or 1500 calorie diet. And then you get to the weekend, you're like, oh yes, it's Sunday. It's my cheat meal day. I'm going to just like smash all this food guilt-free because it's a cheat meal. I'm going to eat 4,000, 5,000 calories on a Sunday and it's going to be beautiful. And then Monday to Saturday, I'm going to continue back to the grind. All you're doing is kind of if you're aware of it or not, you're just like compensating for the amount of deprivation you're putting your body through. And this is why I'm pro-flexible dieting because it's how we sustain this diet. Okay. So I like every, fr so once a week, me and my wife, we get burgers. Sometimes it's twice a week. And we get burgers, right? And I, I have a big appetite. I have a large calorie intake. So I get three burgers and we get chips. We get sweet potato chips and we get um, normal fries as well, like potato chips. Um, sweet potato fries, yum. And that is at least 2000 calories in one meal, at least. 
like because the burgers that I get are pretty high in calories. They're pretty high in fat. They have like mayos and they have like meat that isn't the leanest, like wagyu meat. And the calories are very high. And every time I post it on social media, people will DM me and put like cheat meal question mark. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is just part of my diet. I've made it work today. I've made it work. I'm not cheating on my diet. My diet's not so restrictive that I'm like, oh, I need a burger or I'm going to die. I could have a burger every day if I wanted to. I even had uh, three scoops of ice cream every day and lost over five kilos in 30 days. The 30-day ice cream challenge. I did it in 2019 with my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. We did it together to prove that you can eat ice cream and lose body fat. Okay, and it's not that ice cream is the secret fat loss food that no one's eating. It's not that, you know, I highly advocate high sugar intake. It was just to prove a point that you need to create a calorie deficit and you'll drop body fat. Okay, moving on. So I have them, but it's not a cheat meal because I account for them in my calories. So I have around 3,500 to 4,000 calories per day at the moment. Uh, And I've been there for a while. That is my maintenance slash slight calorie surplus of 5%. Like I'm bouncing between the both because at the moment I'm in like a slow and steady build. And that 2000 calories that I would have with the burgers is like half of my calorie intake and I'm having it for dinner in one meal. So that leaves me like breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, whatever I eat throughout that day. If that is like 2000 calories or 1500 calories, I am literally sticking to my diet if I have these three burgers. This is the beauty of flexible dieting. I'm able to eat these burgers without like going, oh man, I feel terrible. I'm guilty. You know, like I I just smashed my calories. Because what a cheat meal is, is like you eat whatever you would every day, but then you go beyond it by like just like absolutely splurging and just going crazy with the calories. And I'm like... I'm like, let's say, let's say it kind of is a cheat meal, but it's within my calories. So it's not a cheat meal, if that makes sense. Like I've stopped needing cheat meals or stopped the terminology of cheat meals. Like I don't actually require it in my life because my, my, my food choices that I have on a daily basis are actually really enjoyable that I don't have to feel like I need to like bounce off my diet and go and cheat. Kind of like if you're in a boring marriage and you're like, Oh, I'm just going to go you know, cheat on my wife or you know, cheat on my husband because my day-to-day life is so boring that I'm just going to come back and slip into my normal relationship. Like, oh yeah, this is cool. I'm depriving myself, depriving myself, depriving myself. I'm so bored. La, 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 la. Oh, and then the weekend comes again. Have a little fling. It's kind of like the same thing, which is, I guess, why they called it like a cheat meal because you're cheating on your diet. Um, but the thing is, you can just allow for these moments. And once you take the take the black and white thinking of or dichotomous thinking of good foods and bad foods out of your vocabulary with your diet, then you can understand that you can have a slice of pizza during the day and it doesn't have to be a cheat meal. You can have a tiramisu pudding and that's not a cheat dessert. You can have pancakes for breakfast and still, you know, make your calories, protein, fiber, targets work for you throughout the day and still hit your calories and macros and still make progress. It's just incredible. Like I think the most common compliment that I get with my coaching is people saying like, Brock, I did not understand. I could still eat 
tasty food and lose body fat and I've kept it off for ages because I feel like I'm not I'm not on a diet and you can check out the podcasts, the previous ones that I've done with my clients before. I didn't pay them extra <laughs> to say, hey, bro, to say, hey, bro, you like really transformed my life with the way that you taught me flexible dieting. It's just the it's just what happened. Like that was probably their biggest thing that they enjoyed about working with me and understanding is like, wow, I don't have to eat chicken, rice and broccoli every day and just like eat oats with water and, you know, skull down protein shakes straight after the gym. And it's like, they could have a chicken salad after, after training, they could have a sandwich, you know, they could have a decent, you know, lasagna meal for dinner and still hit their, hit their quota of calories, macros and fiber. They could have some garlic bread. They could go to a wedding and have some cake. Like most people, when they get into fitness, they don't associate themselves with being able to do that and achieving a steady physique, which is why I'm so open about what I eat because, you know, I have a decent physique and I'm not obsessive around the, you know, no sugar, no this, no that type of diet. I'm not saying that Everyone should go and just eat sugar and eat high, high fat foods and just like eat burgers and eat pizza and eat donuts. Like I'm definitely not trying to glorify that way of eating because that gets a lot of people in trouble. But if you have control and if you have boundaries within your, you know, um, within your, your diet, you can enjoy those things on the occasion. Like I said, I have, I have burgers maybe once or twice a week. That's not much. Like that's a couple of meals throughout the week and I might eat five meals a day, four meals a day. So if I have four meals a day over the week, that's 28 meals. If I'm, if only one or two of those meals are like burgers, like whoop-de-doo, that's such a small ratio. I like the 80-20 rule as well, like 20% delicious food, 80% nutritious food. So most of your diet is coming from, you know, foods high in fiber, fruits and vegetables, lean cuts of meat, or maybe even not lean cuts of meat, but just like, you know meat, um, grains, if you eat grains, you know, things like this, like really high quality foods. But 20% of your food could come from delicious things that you absolutely love that people go, oh, you're having a cheat meal, bro? Like 20% of your diet coming up from that, like, man, that's cool. If you want to have a shot of tequila on Saturday, go ahead. If you want to have a burger like I do or three, go ahead. Just make it work. Like we're in it for the long haul. That's what you have to understand. We're not out here trying to, you know, diet for eight weeks, get lean, take some photos and then just like get fat. Like, no, we're trying to like improve our health step by step by step and continue to get better as we go through this fitness thing. It's not a fad. It needs to become a lifestyle because or else you're like, oh yeah, I used to do fitness. Uh, Yeah, that used to be me. But like, I don't want you to fall into that category. I want fitness to be a part of your life and make it work. All right, let's move on. Cheat meals suck. Why protein powders for different sexes are terrible. Um, Quick story. I was going through, like we ran out of protein powder the other day. And I just jumped down to IGA, which is a grocery store here in Australia. It's pretty bad, to be honest. I'm a big fan of Woolies. Next would be Coles. IGA would be somewhere down the bottom. But it's the closest to us, and we walk there with our daughter, and it's fun. So we go there, and the, the only protein powder that was vanilla-flavored, because that's what my wife wanted, was one called the Lady Shake. And then they have this thing called the Man Shake as well. Um, I, and look, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's protein powder. Okay? 
whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, it does the same thing to your body. I think that's it. I think that's all I want to say on that. Like, I had a shake. I had two scoops of the lady shake. Oh, not today. Yesterday. Oh, oh no. Like, now what? <laughs> I've just had two scoops of the lady shake. Now what's going to happen? Am I going to wake up with double Ds? You know, am I going to have to change my pronouns? It's just marketing. It's just marketing. It seems specific to ladies. Oh, wow, this is made for me. This is going to be better for my body. It does the same thing. All right. We all just have protein targets that we need to hit. And whether we're a man or a woman, we need we need to hit certain levels of protein. And it doesn't matter what that kind of protein powder is made up of. It's all filtered milk anyway. It's all just hitting our protein target. Right. Ladies need less protein throughout the day because they generally weigh less and they are generally they generally have less muscle mass than men. That's the only difference. Just because they're smaller humans. So if you see things that are targeted to men and women for protein powder, just ignore it. It's lame. It's lame marketing. It might work for them. It's, it seems like their company's expanding because I'm seeing it around more. But anyway, don't fall for it. It's just protein powder. Right. I don't need to spend that. Like you guys are smart enough to fall for that. Anyway. Okay. Last point. Why comparing yourself to others and editing and filters are no good. And this isn't even part of the fitness industry. It's kind of like the marketing industry, but it's so rampant in the fitness industry that I feel like I need to talk about this. All right. There's a famous quote that everyone quotes now. And it's like, comparison is the thief of joy. And when we compare ourselves to other people, it does nothing for us. And I do stand by that. I think it's a great quote because um, if I compared myself to Seabum or Chris Bumstead, who's the four-time Olympia bodybuilding champion, I would have probably body dysmorphia and think that I'm tiny. Uh, I would feel terrible about my body. My confidence would probably get low. Um, you know, I'd look at his life and his physique and just be like, man, this sucks. Like, but there's no need for me to do that. This guy has been training for a long time as well. Um, but he's also been enhanced through PEDs. He's also uh, dedicated his entire life to just training. And so have I, but just in a different manner. I haven't been trying to bodybuild. I haven't been trying to compete and get really lean on stage or get really huge. Um, just really want to get strong and stuff like that. So if I compared myself to him, even though I feel like I have a decent physique, if I compared myself to the best physique in the world or in Olympia, um, you know, that's a recipe for disaster, even me. And then there could be people that are just getting into fitness, comparing their physiques to me, who's been training for 15 years. And then they could get upset with their progress because they're like, well, Brock's this. Or they could compare themselves to Chris Bumstead and be like, whoa, he's like light years ahead of Brock. Why don't I look like Chris Bumstead? You know, so there's like, you can compare yourself up to me or like to Chris Bumstead or anyone in between. And it's like, that is not going to do anything for you, but destroy you. And it's the same thing with like, if you compare yourself to people with money, let's say you look at Alex Hormozzi, cashed up, sells books, 
sells business education, builds businesses, all this type of stuff, lives this great life, flies private jets. He's obviously a hard worker and he's and, and he's worked his ass off. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. But if you compare yourself to him, what's that going to do for you? The amount of time that you spend comparing yourself to these people is time lost that you could spend utilizing to get to a similar place to them if you wanted to, or just to get to a better place than where you are today, which is what we really have to strive for. Not what is your best friend making, not what is your dad making, what is this guy online making, but what am I making and how can I improve that? Not how can I get this version of what this person has, because then you're comparing yourself to another person. And the thing we have to understand, especially when it comes to fitness, we have genetics, we have schedules, we have time allocation, we have commitments, we have hobbies, we have interests. And within all of those things, we have different levels of mental health, mental fortitude, right? Some people can handle the like utmost adversity like they can just handle it they can like the like they can just handle things that you can't for some reason and people are built different like some people get into the gym and they will just grind like they will like be shaking on all the reps and they'll struggle 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 and like they'll be training their ass off and because they're so close to failure they're going to be like building solid muscle getting really strong and then like i've trained people in the gym that have Sometimes just like they just wanted to give up, like they couldn't do it. And like, I'd say like, like you've got five more reps in the tank. Nah, bro, can't. like that's me. I'm done. I, I couldn't get any more if I tried. And I'm like, no, you could. And they're like, Brock, I can't. And I slowly learned over time that that was just their limit. And maybe I could have forced them through it and lost the client. Or I could have just said, okay. And then try to get them to push it a little bit more like later on. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because everyone's different. Some people can just go bonkers and some people can't. That's like, you know, like some people can just sit in silence. Some people can't. Some people love reading books. Some people like listening to audiobooks. Everyone's different. And that's why we can't compare ourselves, whether we're comparing our bank accounts or our bodies or anything else in between. Our cars, our houses, you know, our love and our relationships. Oh, look at that couple. They look so cute online. Me and my boyfriend don't do that. That sucks. That doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't. Don't compare this stuff, okay? Like, I uh, I heard Jordan Syatt say something. Like, he was like, don't compare your chapter three to someone else's chapter 97. Something like that. They were different numbers, but you get what I mean. Like, you could just be starting off in the gym. You can't compare yourself to Chris Bumstead. He's been doing it for years. You're just getting into it. We're all built different, okay? Like like another thing is like genetically, okay, let's put me in the example once again. Okay, so genetically, I don't train my arms. I feel like my arms get enough work with like heavy compounds, like bench presses, uh, bent over rows, pull-ups, and all this type of stuff. Like that gets my arms enough work. So I don't train my arms on their own. And... I feel like they're pretty decent. So if you're getting into the gym, you'd be like, I want, you know, arms like Brock or whatever. Um, but I've never really trained them on their own. So like, there's no point. That's just like genetically, it grows faster there, but 
if you look at like my shoulders and lats, if we're going to get into bodybuilding, they grow a bit slower than other areas. So if I was to look at someone else with big shoulders and big lats, then I could get down because genetically they're just a bit harder to build for me, right? We're all made different. And that's why fitness is so unique. And that's why I think, you know, signing up to a coach just because of what they look like is not the best way because you're not going to look like them ever. I've had to sit clients down and say, hey, this whole thing that you have of like, you know, I want to look like you, it's not going to work. And that's not in an arrogant way, like I'm so above someone. And that's not like you can't have a physique similar to that level, but you're never going to look like someone. Never, 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 never. You can't change the width of your hips because it's bones, right? You can change muscles, but there's things like some people have like smaller wrists. Some people have thicker wrists. People with thicker wrists are probably going to be much stronger because they have more bone density and bigger bones to bear bigger loads, right? Just stop it. Don't compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself to where you are and to where you want to be not where like X person is or Y person is, just do your best. And that's where I want to end this podcast, right? Just straight up simple advice today, a few things that suck and you need to avoid and why, and also just what you need to focus on. So I hope this helps. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please like, subscribe, share on whatever platform that you're listening to them on. I really appreciate it. If you want certain guests on, please let me know in the comments. And if you want certain topics that you want to be expanded on, please let me know as well. This podcast is literally guided by its listeners. And that's why I make it to try and bring value to you. I'll see you in the next podcast.